Hey everyone, I'm Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate. This is a podcast where we sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. If you're new to the pod, welcome. If you've listened before, welcome back. We hope this episode inspires you to cook or possibly do some good today as these chefs inspire us. And we're grateful to our partners who help make this podcast a reality. With that... This episode is made possible with the help of our friends at Wickles Pickles. They're back and still stocked in my fridge. Many of you may know Wickles Pickles from our past season, but if not, here's the deal. Wickles is a family-run business, and their pickles are made using a 90-year-old family recipe and packed proudly in Alabama. As we've mentioned, they have two varieties, both having a custom blend of spices and fresh ingredients. The first is their original Wicked Brine, which is a little sweet and it has some heat in there, which I personally love. And they also have a Dirty Dill line, which is more of that classic dill flavor. They have a new item, perfect to accompany your charcuterie board, which is a Dirty Dill Cocktail Cornichon for those Cornichon lovers. But for me, I still find myself slathering that spicy red sandwich spread they make and or their Wicked Jalapeno Relish on most sandwiches that I make. But here's what I also love about Wickles Pickles. Wickles believes in giving back to their community. Through donating food and other resources, they support various organizations, including food banks and community food programs, as well as disaster relief efforts. They recently supported the Martha Project, which is a nonprofit that focuses on how to use food as a way to connect and care for the houseless in communities they work in. To learn more about Wickles Pickles and their whole line of products, please visit wicklespickles.com. And follow them on social media at Wickles Pickles. Wickles, we thank you. This episode is made possible with the help of our friends at One Hope Wine. One Hope is a Napa Valley winery built on hope and rooted in purpose. Every bottle of their award-winning wine supports a meaningful cause. Can you already see why we love them? Here's what this means. It means One Hope's commitment to high-quality wine is as important as their commitment to the causes they support. Through the sale of every bottle, One Hope has donated over $7 million to causes around the world. You may have heard me say $6 million in the last episode, but yep, it's now 7 From building a school in Guatemala to funding over 3 million meals for children in need, One Hope's mission is to nourish the future. One Hope also believes that you shouldn't have to sacrifice your wallet to enjoy quality, award-winning wines. Thank you, One Hope. I can confidently say my wife and I have tasted multiple bottles of their wine on their own and with meals, and we both have really, really enjoyed them. To learn more about One Hope Wine, the winery, and to apply to become a winery member, go to onehopewine.com. That's onehopewine.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at One Hope and on Facebook at One Hope Wine. One Hope, we thank you. Hey everyone, one more thing before we get going. We have some awesome Beyond the Plate merch, which you can find a link to in your podcast player or at beyondtheplatemerch.com. Head on over and check out our hats, tees, and hoodies. Again, that's beyondtheplatemerch.com. All right, enjoy this week's episode. So you grew up in New Mexico, so for you... To check your audio, I'm going to have you name 10 uses for hatch chilies. Oh boy, okay. Green chili stew, chili cheese toast, green chili chicken enchiladas, cornbread with green chili, green chili salsa. You're good. Uh, 
You're good. I love it. I got to five. Today's guest is a celebrated theater, film, TV star, and cookbook author. He has a massive passion for cooking and entertaining, which comes through in his delicious book, Food Between Friends. You most likely know him for his role in the TV series Modern Family or for his extraordinary advocacy efforts in the LGBTQ plus community. He was born in Montana, grew up in New Mexico, and is husband to Justin and dad to two-year-old Beckett. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the plate with the man who may be the only person to have made Gail Simmons Zatar chicken schnitzel more times than me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Uh, Beckett's actually only 11 months old, but thank you for fast forwarding time. I oh kind of wish God. he was two. <laughs> Is he, you know, I, I didn't know if he even hit one or if he was one and a half and I was going to ask you. No, I know. It's all good. Yeah. 11 months. I just don't want him to go find this someday and like, have, he'll like, dad, why did you let that man lie about my age? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I want to learn about him. But first things first with you, dermatology check. You yeah. good? Everyone's... I have, yeah. I have my bandaid here right now. That's healing. Uh, yeah. I had a little skin cancer taken off of the back of my neck. I've had it in other places on my face before too. So it's something I get checked out regularly and encourage other people to do as well. I had a, a my skin exam last week, which I don't do normally, but when we, we talked in season two with Giada De Laurentiis, and she has her personal journey with her brother and, and family. So literally, I recorded that episode and I went and made an appointment like the next week because I'd never done it. And then I saw you post on Instagram and I was like, God, I need another one of those again because I need to stay on top of this. And... I posted on my Instagram that I did it and I'm like, is this dumb for me to post it? No, because no. even if like one person goes, you know, then, and, and sure enough, plenty of people message me. They're like, thank you for posting this. You yeah, know? for sure. You gotta be reminded about that. It's very important. As a father of almost three-year-old twins myself, I have to ask, how is Beckett? He's great. He's, uh, uh, you know, I'm, an, I'm a first time dad. This is all new to me. So people are always asking, like, what's he doing right now that seems like really exciting? I'm like, I don't know. What, what, what should I be looking for? What is, what, what's the right answer to this? It's like, he's really cute. And like, he likes scrambled eggs. I don't know. Like, I don't really have, like, he, I'm not that parent that's like, he's doing that amazing thing where he's just like really connecting with me. I'm like, I don't know. It's a lot of work. Like, yeah. it's, I will say the, 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 my, my, my first answer would be it's a lot more work than I expected it to be, you know, but in a good way, I, I, I'm really enjoying it. It's just, uh, you know, I think becoming a, a parent for the first time, I think being a parent during the pandemic for anyone was hard, but certainly like navigating those first months when you like don't know what to do and like you really can't have anyone over to help because it wasn't safe and it felt very isolating. So I think, you know, now that we're coming out of it, I feel a little bit more relaxed. Also, I've been doing this for 11 months, almost a year now. And, you know, he's still alive. So I think I'm doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> Any big plans for the, the year birthday, which I always like to say is more of a party for the parents. Absolutely. Than the we're yeah. like, what do we want to eat and You're drink? Like, tacos and tequila party. One, that's literally <laughs> what we're doing. We're having tacos and margaritas. Amazing. And inviting some people over to swim. And, you know, uh, that's it. It's what we want. And I saw in your posts, I keep referencing your posts because they keep me happy and laughing every day. But you gave that single parent, you're like, you and Justin, I think gave the single parent shout out like on Instagram. I'm like, I say that to my wife all the time. Like still, my our kids are almost three. And I was like, there's single parents by the way, single parents in general, but single parents of twins, like, can you imagine oh, this? Yes. Oh. Well, and I know a few. I know a few. And I have a few friends who, you know, 
very willingly went into to parenthood without a partner. And I mean, they're rock stars to me. And I think you, when you're just in the thick of it, you just make it work. It's like, you know, those people on the Titanic, they had to figure out, it's like, you're on the life raft or don't. <laughs> Yeah, so crazy. <laughs> All right, so hard-hitting question here. How is he as an eater? Again, like I think, I don't know what to compare it to, but I think he's pretty good. I, there's so many great products for, for babies now, like food-wise, like really interesting foods and great flavor profiles. And so I'm, I'm not shying away from just sort of letting him try almost anything. You know, I'm obviously careful with stuff, but he's been pretty responsive. Although it's like, you know, he ate a full plate of egg, scrambled eggs the other day. And then I was like, oh great, eggs are his morning thing. And the next day he's like, absolutely not. And you know, with babies, instead of just saying, no, thank you, they just swatted across the room. And it like, it's on the wall, it's in the dog's hair. I'm like, okay. It's frustrating. I mean, totally get that. I'm waiting for someone to like, you know, I'm for a dinner party where one of my guests doesn't like the thing I made and they just swatted across the room. (laughs) No, Jesse. (laughs) So take us back. I'm curious. Take us back to your early days, like when, not when you were 11 months, but like little Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Like, what were you getting into? Are we in? Are we in Montana? Are we in New Mexico? Uh, We're in New Mexico, definitely. I was. I was born in Montana, but I only lived there for a year. And then I, I most of my life was in New Mexico, hence the skin cancer. <laughs> but I, uh, I was a very quiet kid, very shy. And yet I begged my mom to let me join the Albuquerque Children's Theater, which was, you know, basically an extracurricular company that, you know, it was kids performing theater for other kids. And my mom was so shocked that I would want to do something like that because I was such an introvert. But I really loved it, and that's I, so I, I fell in love with theater at a very, very young age. And as far as like you know, cooking and my passion for for cooking with my mom, she was very good. She was you know a, a working parent, so a lot of the stuff that she made for me, whereas it was delicious, it came together very quickly. A lot of like casseroles with canned soups, you know, poured over the top. You know, I, I loved like making cookies with her over the holidays and. But she certainly wasn't like someone who was like a whiz in the kitchen. She was really great and she made us great food, but it wasn't like I was, you know, there was, she wasn't a great inspiration as a chef in the kitchen. She was an inspiration as like a working parent who knew how to feed her children and keep things on the table. But for, for, for me, like it's just, I think those early days of cooking with my mom, even if they were simple things, you know, inspired me to, to continue to do that when I was older. How old were you when you started cooking? with her um like i remember like there's a photo of me making holiday cookies with my mom i don't even know where it is now but it's like i'm wearing one of her aprons my hands in my head like you get out of my kitchen and i think i'm like 11 at that point okay so yeah do you remember the first thing you made it was cookies probably the thing i made with her was was cookies she would make these um sour cream sugar cookies Ooh, sounds good uh, yeah they were delicious and like with a you know just a uh, powdered sugar, like glaze, glazy sort of uh, frosting, you know, the, the, the royal icing, basically, uh, you know, st- very standard. Yeah. What was your dinner? What was like the Ferguson family table like? Like, what were dinners? Um, it's, you know, during the week, they were like chaotic. People would just sort of sit down and eat when they could. My, my parents really tried to get us to all sit down at the same time. But then, you know, when we became teenagers, it, it, it was very hard to sort of schedule that in. We would do these Friday night dinners out uh, quite often, actually. And there's a, a chain in, in Albuquerque called Furs Cafeteria, F-U-R-R-S. And it's a cafeteria. You, like, walk down the line with your tray. It's like, you know, as if you're in school and you, like, pick the, the, you know, the mashed potatoes or the chicken fried steak. And 
and it was probably like four ninety nine. It was like really all you can eat, and so it was just a very inexpensive way to feed a family. And yet we were still going out. And I remember thinking as a kid, like that was a fancy restaurant, and like the chairs had rollers on the bottom of them, like you know, at the tables, and like the whole restaurant was carpeted. There was no windows in the place. Like looking back on it, I was like, that is a was a very like fluorescent lighting everywhere. So my aesthetic has certainly improved. Like I, I my tolerance for lighting and and good design has definitely gotten better. That's so funny. <laughs> and you have um, one brother and one sister, right? Yeah, that's right. Are they into food at all? My brother actually is a really, really great cook. He is kind of a little bit better than me, like in, in a grill situation. Uh, I think my sister, she's not, I don't know if she's much of a cook, but I think she got my cookbook. She's trying some stuff. Yeah. Did dad cook or was it mostly mom in the kitchen? Mostly mom. Yeah. And I don't know if that was because it was like, that's the way things were back then. Like, you know, my dad is great on a grill though, too. I did not inherit that from him. So I saw you, you said you fell in love with food in New Mexico. What happened? Like what made you fall in love with food? I think, I mean, I, I really, really love traditional New Mexican food. I love green chili. I love enchiladas and tacos and, you know, pasole and it's my favorite type of cuisine. So I just, I, I will say I fell in love with food, but I fell in love with like a very specific type of food. Like I was not ambitious. I didn't like try Indian food. I didn't try Thai food. You know, we would have like sometimes some Chinese takeout, but like that was sort of as far away from like American or New Mexican that I went. But I just, I loved eating and I had the, the blessing of a really high metabolism. So it didn't matter. <laughs> That's so funny. Did you ever have a job in a restaurant? I did. I was a host at a very, very famous New Mexican restaurant called Sadie's. Sadie's started off in a bowling alley. The counter of a bowling alley, I think there was like five bar stools. And it was the place to go. Like it was like of all the restaurants in, in Albuquerque, this little corner of this bowling alley had the best food. They ended up expanding into a huge space. And then that space they kept expanding as well. So now it's now this massive restaurant. And that's when I was working there when it was already this like big thing. But it has like this great folklore of like, you know, being, you know, at very humble beginnings. And so I, I was a host there uh, because I was too young to bus tables. You had to be 18 to to bus tables because of, I guess, taking alcohol away from, from the tables. And so I was, I was too young, so I just had to seat people. When did the entertaining bug come in the picture? Well, at the same time, I was, I was a performer at Cliffs Amusement Park in Albuquerque. It's this you know, local theme park. And I was a, a dancer and singer and their you know, cheesy like musical reviews. And so I was doing that and working at Sadie's at the same time. And I did, did sort of feel like when I'd go to Sadie's, it's like, yeah, I'm a working performer. Like I also have another job where I'm making, you know, $14.95 per show. And here it's, you know, it's an, on, you know, it's, it's minimum wage. So I'm, I'm, I definitely have, I have another career. I'm just doing this to like sort of make ends meet. <laughs> and you were like a teenager at the time? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 16, 17. <laughs> so funny. So two of our previous guests, we had Adrian Grenier and Neil Patrick Harris, also from New Mexico. Yeah. Like yeah. what? what's in the water there, first of all? Second, <laughs> Neil and his husband are big entertainers. Do you guys, are you friendly? Do you yeah. swap tips or what? It's so interesting because Neil, obviously, as you just said, grew up in New Mexico and was part of the community theater there as well. I, although I don't think we ever performed together, there are definitely like roles that I wanted that I lost out to him. Really? <laughs> yes. He was already a celebrity. I mean, he had done, you know, films and he was a big fancy person in the community. So like I, there was no, I had no chance. And it wasn't until I moved to Los Angeles and, or maybe it was New York. I, I would run into him in New York and 
we would always talk about Albuquerque and, you know, what school he went to, what school I went to. And, and then when I finally moved to L.A., he was shooting How I Met Your Mother on the soundstage right next to where I was shooting this um, other sitcom that didn't last called Do Not Disturb. And I, I would always go over and hang out with him and visit him. He was really good about sort of like showing me the ropes of L.A. And I didn't know anyone there. So I'd go to his house a lot with, and he and David would, would make you know, food for me. And uh, every time they had a big party, I would be included on the, the list. So I got to meet a lot of like really great people in Los Angeles through Neil. So, yeah. That's so nice. I love that. Hey, everyone. Sorry for the brief interruption, but wanted to give some love to our friends over at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Martin's is an all-American family-owned and operated company founded in 1955 and headquartered in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. They're the number one potato roll in America, and as I like to say, they can make almost any burger taste better. It's no secret my love of Martin's, but truth be told, nothing gets me more jazzed than receiving random pictures from people eating Martin's at home with their families or just excited that they found it at their local grocery store. I know Martin's is big on cherished eating experiences, so during these wild times in the world, if we can use food, bread more specifically, to bring people together around a table and create memories, as I know our family has, well, that's a good thing. In addition to their famous potato rolls, Martin's also makes sesame seeded Big Marty rolls, hoagie rolls, 100% whole wheat potato bread, old fashioned butter bread, a variety of swirl breads like cinnamon raisin and maple brown sugar. My gosh, my mouth is watering and I'm hungry. As you know, my love runs deep for Martin's. Their mission encompasses more than just baking the best bread and providing good American jobs. They also believe in giving back to their community and the world around them. Through volunteering time and donating resources, they support hundreds of charitable organizations such as food banks, after-school programs, disaster relief, and others that provide sustenance and comfort to people in need, both close to their baking facilities and abroad. To learn more about Martin's and check out some great recipes, go to potatorolls.com and follow them on social media at potatorolls. Martin's, we thank you. Speaking of friends, uh, you wrote a book, Food Between Friends, which is so damn entertaining. You know, like I, I judge a cookbook when I like open it up at my desk and like an hour later, I'm like still reading it. You know what I mean? I'm like, wait a second, I need to work. But can you, I mean, I love this book. I love how, I love the voice. Like I love how it's written. The recipes, you know, just look so fun. I started tagging, you know, some of these, you know, brunchy recipes, which fully agree on the brunch situation. Why can't I go to brunch at like Tuesday at 11? Why does it have to be, you know, a weekend? Two things. Why did you decide to write this book? And we also follow up and tell us about your co-author, Julie, because whether you want to retell the whole story or let people get the book and read it, but incredible story. Well, yeah, I, I, I guess I'll start with Julie. Julie and I met at a dinner party that neither one of us really wanted to go to, but we were, we were both so happy that we did go to because we met each other. Um, and she sat across the table from me and we ended up striking up a, a great conversation. And I will let people buy the book to sort of get the more detailed version of the story. <laughs> but we ended up, I, I, I admitted to her that I'd always wanted to go to culinary school, but I was so busy with I was like in the thick of Modern Family at that time. We were like in season five and I just, I had no time on my hands. And my, my hiatus is when I was free, I was going to New York and doing theater and I just never had the opportunity. So Julie, who had gone to culinary school said, well, I'll come over and like cook with you and I'll teach you some things. And so we just started making recipes together, usually in my kitchen, sometimes in hers. And just as a way of sort of documenting them, we started posting them on a blog that we created uh, called, wait for it, Julie and Jesse Cook. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant brilliant 
I don't know why we landed on that. We're like, I think we just, we were trying to be too cute with it. We're like, you know what? Just be, we're super literal with it. Anyway, that got the attention of Clarkson Potter, which is a, you know, fantastic high-end sort of very fancy publishing house. And they actually approached us about turning our relationship and our recipes into some sort of a, a book. And I had always thought about doing a book. I, I, actually, I, I was thinking about doing a memoir or like sort of um, essays of, you know, funny stories from my past. I feel like I'm too young for an actual memoir, but you know, there are people younger than I who are, who are writing them. And so I, I, I was always excited about the idea of sort of documenting stories from my past, but I, I was just having, a, it, was, it didn't feel like a natural fit for me to write a memoir. And I was having a lot of writer's block. And so when this opportunity came up, I was like, well, that, there is a way to like, you know, sort of tell those personal stories through the recipes that you, you love from growing up and the recipes that you're creating now. So uh, I, I took, the challenge, and I thought, well, you know, they, they definitely, Clarkson Potter's offer to like, let us write a cookbook threw us into the deep end. Like we did not get to go into the shallow and sort of feel how the water was. Like they just threw us in and like, okay, swim. And we did, which, you know, I think was a good thing for us because we're both procrastinators. We're both like really indecisive and we had deadlines that we had to meet. And, you know, writing a cookbook's no joke. I think writing any book is no joke, but you know, with a cookbook, there's that added layer of having to create recipes and test them, test them multiple times and have someone else test them and make sure that, you know, they're easy to read for the, the home cook. And it's, it's a lot. And uh, there's a lot of steps to it. So it was great having Julie on, at my side. She's also a first time author. And it wasn't the type of book where I wanted her to sort of be a ghostwriter or someone in the background. I really wanted her to be on the cover with me. And I wanted the book to be about our friendship and the recipes that we created together. That's cool. Yeah, That's really cool of you. I love that. Have you and Julie ever attempted to make dinner and just like totally fucked it up and like had to order in and I I, I, don't, I think well we've had really terrible test days together where we're, we're testing recipes and like you spend all this money on these ingredients and you you put all this time and effort into it and at the end of the day you have nothing to show for it except for it's really disgusting food that does not work and those days were really def deflating I, I don't think together we've ever we've ever botched a dinner Usually if we know we're feeding someone, like we don't try new things. We're like, let's just stick with what we know uh, or what, we, what we've tested. But individually, I have botched many dinners. <laughs> and then you're, you're in LA now? Yes, I'm in LA, yeah. Do you order in a lot and do you have any favorites? You know, I just moved to a new area of town, so I'm trying to figure out what the new stuff is here. I love ordering in. Th throughout the, you know, the past year when we were sort of in, in lockdown, I was ordering in a lot and trying to support my local restaurants. And... And the neighborhood I used to live in, we had such great places from, from Kismet to, you know, John and Vinny's was close. Uh, there's, a, you know, a, there's a, a great restaurant in Los Feliz called All Time that I, I went to a lot. And now I'm in the Valley and there's amazing sushi and there's Benihana. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So you seem, you and Julie, you and you and Julie, you seem to have a blast in the kitchen. What's your approach to cooking? Well, she taught me not to take things too seriously. It's like really uh, trust your, your palate as a, you know, you, you have to trust your palate. Like there's this fear of like when you're creating a recipe that you have to, to follow everything or, you, or even when you're following a recipe that you have to follow everything to a T. And, you know, if you don't like something or if you don't, if you're not a cilantro person, like it's fine to leave it out. It's not going to destroy the recipe. So like, I think I was always, I think it just comes from me being a really good student. I would always want to do things perfectly. And, you know, Julie sort of took that fear of messing up away, away from the situation. She like taught me that, you know, you can, you can 
mess up and you can be a little more messy and sloppy in the kitchen and it's it's fine but i think our i mean we we do have fun we are as i said we're both really super indecisive like we could be standing over a, a bowl of sauce that we've made putting our finger into it one by one t- tasting and saying i don't know what you what do you think back and forth for like 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> so funny. So you you mentioned you recently moved. How is it being in a new kitchen? Yeah, I mean, I the kitchen's great. I had I came out of a great kitchen. The the the, the kitchen I moved out of was the house was built by a um or renovated by a chef. So her kitchen was amazing. This kitchen is built by people who I don't think ever cooked, but the appliances are all really nice and the the layout's great. But there was definitely you know, it's also one of those kitchens where sort of everything's integrated. Everything looks like a cabinet. So I'm still trying to figure out where the refrigerator is. <laughs> I just start pressing. Works, it's, yeah. it's one of those cabinets where you press on something and then it pops open. So I'm just sort of randomly pressing, like I'm in a, like I'm in a, um, you know, like an escape room or something, just pressing on doors. <laughs> You're like, pops is this open. where I get the cereal bowl or is this the dishwasher? Exactly. I, you know, exactly. So, so I'm um, figuring that all out. <laughs> Is there anybody you would love to host a dinner party for? Oh, God. So many people. Um, Kamala Harris, Audra McDonald. Who else? I'm trying to think of people I just really want. Oprah. I just, I'm just trying to think of, think of people I want to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That's what it is, right? Uh, I've met um, all of those people. Well, Audra McDonald's actually a good friend of mine, but I've met all those people. I, I don't know Oprah well, and I don't know Kamala Harris well, but I've met them both, and I just really like them. So... I think that they'd be fun. That's awesome. Yeah. You've invested in some restaurants. Yeah. I, I heard that. So how is that for you? Is that like exhilarating, daunting? Yeah, it's exciting to sort of support a new voice in the culinary world. And we have had some success with it, which has been nice. We're investors in this. Actually, we're not we're not vegan or plant-based, but this place called Nick's in uh, L.A., that's a beautiful uh, indoor-outdoor restaurant, um, plant-based, and it's, it's really, really delicious. And then this new place called All Day Baby on the east side, which their, their sister restaurant, Here's Looking at You, unfortunately didn't make it to the pandemic, but All Day Baby's doing really great. We actually got a rave review in the LA Times days before the pandemic shut everything down, which was really heartbreaking. Uh, but somehow we, we made it through the past, you know, year and a half and our restaurateur Lynn is a rock star and she's pulled the staff through with her and they're coming out on the other end of it and it's really great but it's you know it it's something that when you invest in anything I think you sort of have to assume that that money is gone forever <laughs> you know and you certainly don't invest in restaurants or theater which we've done as well to make make money you do it because you're passionate about the person and the the chef and also, we did a lot of those projects because we wanted places to go that were, were like, you know, we were a part of building. Like, that we, there's a lot of pride in like going to All Day Baby and knowing that we helped create it in a way. That's cool. That's really cool. So, a few months back, I was in a clubhouse chat room with uh, your modern family hubby, Eric Stone oh, Street. Really? I, I like was scrolling through and I see Eric Stone Street talks food or something. I was like, what does this guy have to say about food? Not knowing oh, anything. He's great. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't realize how much he's into food. Yeah. Like yeah. rattling off ingredients, food, restaurants in various cities around the country. Is this a cast thing? Like, I know you guys are close, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Eric and Ty and basically all the guys in the show are big foodies. <laughs> Ed, Ty, Eric, and I. 
and Julie, I think, Julie doesn't eat. Just kidding. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and Sophia, you know, just likes to, the fan, she likes the fancy restaurants. Yeah, sometimes Sophia's like, uh, she'll, she'll name a restaurant. I was like, Sophia, you're just there for ambiance. Let's be honest. Like, <laughs> although she does love to eat. But Ty and Eric and Ed are actually all like master grillers. And like for my birthday one year, Eric sent me a whole box of Omaha, not Omaha steaks, um, some some of their, okay, now I can't remember the company, but like really amazing frozen steaks and meat. And he's, yeah, he's, he's really great on the grill. What three words would you use to describe yourself? Pale, <laughs> compassionate, um, and I think uh, sensitive. Pale, compassionate, and sensitive. <laughs> Does that sound pathetic? No, it's great. What three words would your husband, Justin, use to describe you? Pale, compassionate, and sensitive. <laughs> Definitely sensitive. <laughs> it's all the, these questions are always like the exact same answer or like the complete opposite answer. You know, depending. What do you remember the first meal you and him ever had together? Oh yeah, uh, our first date was at Cafe Stella on the East Side in Los Angeles. I love their mul frites there, and. I was nervous for some reason with, on that first day with Justin and I ordered escargot instead of mul frites. And I was like, do you like escargot? And I think he was nervous about like, he's 10 years younger than me and I think he wanted to, you know, appear older. I met him when he was very young, like 23 years old. And I think he was trying to just play it cool. He's like, yeah, yeah, I love it. And we both, so these snails come, they're not what I was expecting them to be. And they're certainly not what he wanted. And we kind of like suffered through them and I, I did not like them. Escargot is not my jam. And years later, I admitted to him that I was trying to order mole frites and I, for some reason, ordered escargot. So that was, I mean, we had other things as well. We didn't just eat a half a plate of snails, but yeah, that was our first meal. What was the first thing you ever cooked for him? God, I don't know if I remember. I remember the first thing he cooked for me because he's only cooked me three things in the entire relationship. It's like this taco ring casserole thing that his mom would create for him that had like, you know, it was a puff pastry and ground beef and like salsa just poured over the top, cheese, you know, it was probably like 9 million calories and it was delicious, but it was like totally a clip from like the back of, you know, Parade Magazine or something. <laughs> no offense against Parade because I, I love them. <laughs> I joke with my wife because she has like, I go out of town, I come back and see dishes in the sink. I was like, wait, you cooked? Like, you, since you don't cook when I'm home and she has like three things in her repertoire. One of them is English English muffin turkey tacos, she yes. calls it. It's like, you know, ground turkey on an English muffin. It's exactly what cheese. it says it's going to be, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have a most requested dish that he asks you to make? Well, he's always asking me to cook something yummy and paleo. So... I was like, what do you want for dinner? I don't know, something yummy and paleo. I'm like, can you give me a little bit more direction? <laughs> uh, we were kind of pretty strictly paleo for a little while and I've, we've eased up a bit, but um, he usually wants me to cook him something healthy, but there are, he is a big chicken fingers fanatic, so. Okay, so uh, I wanna switch gears here. All of our guests on Beyond the Plate they give back in different ways. That's one of the main reasons we started this because I probably, as you know, you know how like giving chefs are of their voice, their time, their food, whatever it may be. And a lot of people that just go into a restaurant, they just eat this delicious meal and they don't necessarily realize how much this chef or restaurant may be doing for the community. Right. And it's, again, one of the reasons why we do this podcast. So I wanted to hit upon social impact and giving back. You and Justin have done a ton in that space. You've created Tie the Knot. 
um, and raise funds to support uh, same-sex marriage using bow ties. And yes. you've always yeah. been you've always been active in raising awareness for the LGBTQ plus community. So can you tell us more about all of this work? Yeah, I mean, when I met Justin, he's a lawyer, he's a philanthropist, like he's has a very he's wired to always be thinking about how can we give back. And you know, when we started dating, we had we sort of brainstorming like what, what would be my foundation if I could ever do something. We also wanted to like I was I, I sort of wanted to get involved in the fashion world in, in some capacity and. I thought, well, what's like this? I know nothing about fashion really, or like how to, you know, create garments or, but I was like, what's the smallest possible clothing item I could create? It's like a bow tie. Seems pretty easy. I know what they look like. So we partnered up with um, a, a Thai company called the Thai Bar, and we decided to combine that with the efforts to, you know, have some sort of a philanthropic organization. And so Justin came up with this idea of calling it Tie the Knot, and proceeds from the sales of the bow ties would go to people who are sort of on the ground fighting for marriage equality. This was back in 2012 when, uh, you know, there was like eight states with marriage equality. And so uh, our goal was to be put out of business so that all 50, when all 50 states would, you know, accept uh, marriage equality and same-sex marriage. When that actually did happen, we decided to keep working to, to, you know, raise money to sort of protect those rights we fought so hard for. So we're still actually, we've raised over a million dollars on the sale of bow ties and uh, it's been really great. It's, it's been exciting. We also like, we work a lot with No Kid Hungry, you know, which I'm sure, you know, so, I'm sure so many people have talked about that on this podcast, but you know, it's now that I'm a, a dad, uh, you know, it's even, it hits even closer to home, you know, knowing that there, there are kids out there who have to worry about where their next meals are coming from is heartbreaking. So yeah, it's, I think we're always looking for places to um, be able to give back. And, you know, when we, like Justin, for example, started this, this um, betting line, the threat experiment, and uh, it's, it's sort of masculine design sheets. You know, he kind of realized there was a hole in the market. There was like a lot of like Laura Ashley or like Target white sheets, but nothing with like, you know, for, for really more masculine designs for women and men, but like just more masculine. And so like we sort of took the, the idea of suiting fabric and like what would it look like if sheets really kind of looked like more like suiting fabric and, and you know pinstripes and fun like orgiles and all this stuff and uh but he also when he set this up he said we have to be able to give back as well so for every like full sheet set that we sold we would donate one to a, a homeless shelter so yeah i think as you're as people are well, at least for us as we're like coming up with new ideas and 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 ways to sort of put ourselves out in the marketplace we're always looking for how, how do we also give back at the same time? It's amazing. That's amazing. That's great stuff. Did you ever uh, design a food-inspired bow tie? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I've hosted the James Beard Awards twice. So one year we did a, a James Beard bow tie. It's sort of like from a distance just looks like a, a black bow tie with some white designs on it. And then you look closer and the white designs like whisks and spoons and, you know, knives. And it's kind of, you know, kitschy and fun. But I... I I don't know if we have any other food design bow ties. Very cool. All right, let's do a quick speed round. What do you say? Sure. What did you have for dinner last night? I ordered in Greek food. Yum. Uh, name a smell in the kitchen that you love. Mm, uh, browning sugar. Ooh. Name a smell in the kitchen you hate. The, the trash, but it needs to be taken out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what pisses you off in the kitchen? When my knives are dull. Mm. What makes you happy in the kitchen? When my knives are sharp. There you go. <laughs> Name two or three chefs that you go crazy for uh, and like their food. Roy Choi, Thomas Keller, uh, Stephanie Izzard. Nice. 
and you're getting her soon there in LA. Yes, I know. I'm so excited. It's exciting. So closing out here, food shows are very popular these days, as we know, and networks have built, well, there's been networks built around them. Would you ever consider hosting your own food-related show? It wouldn't be out of the question for me. I love acting and I love, you know, creating characters so much. Like, I always get nervous about anything taking my time away from doing that. But I also, you know, for the right thing, you know, I think there are a lot of food shows. And how, it's like, how do you make them different now? And how do you stand out from, from the pack? And I, honestly, like, they're all done so well. I mean, the people who are doing those shows, they're lasting for a long time. And that concept's working because they're, they're good and it, and it works. So I would just, I don't know how, it, how I would personally make it different, but it's not something that's out of the question. Got it. All right, last, last one. Another hard-hitting one. Is it true that you don't cry from cutting onions in the kitchen, but making pie crust brings you to tears? That is absolutely true. Explain. <laughs> pie crust was really my nemesis for the longest time. Julie actually taught me how to make it easily and consistently, but I have, and I document this in the book, uh, I've had some really dramatic run-ins with pie crust where the whole kitchen is covered in flour and I'm in tears and I just can't get it right. And I'm just so frustrated. So you're working with really two and a half ingredients when you're making pie crust. It's temperamental. <laughs> Not, yeah, it's really temperamental. And uh, Julie taught me how to, to, to nail it. And we document it very, very thoroughly in, in the book. There's actually two pages on just how to make pie crust. So. Amazing. Jesse, thank you so much for your time. Thanks I for appreciate it. Thanks for popping on. It was great to hear more about you as a kid and, you know, the, the book journey and how you and Justin um, have given and continue to give back. That's always incredible, um, incredible stuff. So thank you so much and keep killing it being a dad. Uh, I know that's also <laughs> not easy, but it's, you know, every day is different and it's super fun. And it's like, just when you figure out, you're like, Oh, I, I figured out like this, you know, this part. And then like that part. Then over. it's all changed. Yeah, so exactly. Those rules have all changed and we're on another page. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So, all right, buddy. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again to Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Find more on him at jessetylerferguson.com. To learn more about Tie the Knot, go to tiethenot.org. That's T-I-E-T-H-E-K-N-O-T.org. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Kathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. This episode was produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetton, and Sean Petrosian. Our digital media is by Sarah McClellan Me. Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. As always, special shout out to my wife, Katie. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Don't forget to join us next Wednesday for an episode of Beyond the Drink, our companion podcast of Beyond the Plate, presented by Ford's Gin. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.